0: Welcome to season three of the Reformed Informants podcast. We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. I'm TJ Darty. and we are the Reformed Informants. Man, we have reached a milestone with this episode—episode episode number 70.
1: 70 episodes. I mean, that's that's something that's something significant, man. That's that's really—I don't know. There's there's—we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go, of course. Uh, Lord willing, but yeah, man, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, 70 episodes, man. I can't. I was flipping back through uh, some of the episode guides and scrolling back through the podcast feed, man, and some of those episodes seem like they were 10 years ago, but then on the other hand, it seems like, man, just like two weeks ago.
1: Yeah, I thought I thought the same thing. Some of those early episodes, uh, for those of you who stuck with us through those early days, man, we were trying to figure it out. Uh, just developing and learn how to how to interact. But the cool thing, when you think back, man, we've just we've just had conversations about theology. I mean, that's all it is. Uh, just having uh, uh, chats about different topics, different doctrines, and uh, along the way, edifying one another and uh, hopefully encouraging some brothers and sisters out there who listen. So, uh, man, thankful for this. Thankful for this ministry. Thankful for the opportunity to to, to chat and to uh, discuss things
0: uh, related to the Word of God. And looking forward to, to doing so. Uh, down the road as well. Yeah, well, we're jumping back into our uh, summertime, wintertime series, A Call for Biblical Worship. Uh, This is uh, part five, and uh, you've titled this one, TJ, Congregational Singing. I love the title. I love the title. Um, So I'm going to swing it to you and uh, sort of give us a recap overview of what this series has entailed. And then, uh, man, let's just launch right into this, baby.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, I've been excited to have this conversation. I know you have as well. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts um, on a lot of topics that we have lined up for tonight. Um, but I, I titled this, as I was thinking through and kind of developing the outline for this episode, I, I titled this Congregational Singing. And um, the reason is because I think it, we need to understand how music and singing fits into... The, the broader category of worship. Uh, and what I mean is that I think a lot of times, just kind of part of sub-Christian culture, uh, when we say worship, a lot of times people think singing. Like they just associate those two things as if all the other things are not worship, right? But singing is a part or a component of the corporate worship. And so all that we've looked at so far comes together into this series that we've called, we've titled A Call for Biblical Worship. So we began by looking at the regulative principle, and specifically um, just to remind our listeners, this is dealing with corporate worship for the gathered church, uh, the predominant gathering on Sunday mornings as we come together uh, as a body of Christ, a local congregation, there's a call for a a biblical approach to corporate worship. And we said that the regulative principle uh, gives us those guardrails, which says these are the things which can be uh, done in corporate worship. We are instructed uh, through scripture uh, to do these particular things and these things only. And then we've kind of gone through and examined those uh, particular components of worship. So we've looked at preaching, uh, preaching the word and Uh, along with reading the Scripture. Uh, We've talked about how you can see the Word through the ordinances of communion and baptism. We talked last time about praying the Word, pastoral prayer, praying through uh, those pastoral prayers in uh, Paul's letters or the Old Testament book of Psalms. And now, part five, we're going to talk about singing the Word. So everything that we've looked at so far is part of corporate worship, and singing then is just another part of corporate worship.
0: Thoughts on that, Lance? Yeah, I want to go back to what you said there at the beginning. Man, you're you're stoking the fire, throwing logs onto the fire early in this episode. But um, it, it was when when you mentioned uh, worship and defining worship, because if you were to ask the everyday churchgoer um, in in America today when you mention worship everyone um is is going to think music singing right uh something related to that component of worship and, and and ultimately like you've laid the case for briefly that is part of worship but that term has been hijacked and i think what we've done with this series as you've already alluded to is that we've looked at specific categories or components of worship through the previous four parts in this series. And now, as we finally get to the fifth part, we're still talking about a category or component of worship. Uh, Worship isn't just singing. And I would also add to that, and I think we'll develop this in the episode between the charismatic movement and the seeker sensitive movement. That This whole idea of worship and music is essentially uh, just a feeling. It's in. It's an environment. It's uh, maybe uh, a reaction to uh, a melody, a song, a chorus. I would say it's really. Uh, it, it's extremely far from what uh, singing is as it relates to worship.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you you put it that way. And talking about like thinking about okay, you you come into. A corporate worship service on Sunday morning. we you have a a call to worship, which begins this. Hey, we are here to do one thing. And then that thing is not merely to sing. Uh now singing is part of it, but it's not it's not as if we were to say, okay, during the worship time, uh, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z, and then there will be a sermon. Like that, that's not the idea at all. It's not a choppy uh conglomeration of just traditions that we <laughs> perform on Sunday morning, right? Like there's a call to worship and then there are the elements of corporate worship, which include reading the word, which includes singing the word, which include praying the word, the preaching of the word, the public reading of the word, the visible demonstration of the word. Those elements of corporate worship are uh, demonstrated uh, in such a way that they come together for the edification of the body, and you said it, man. Like you said it, that 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 word worship has been hijacked. I mean, just simple de- definition: worship is a declaration that God is worthy; that He is. It, it's a means of, by which we ascribe worth and adoration and awe mm-hmm. and wonder and glory to God. Right? That that's what worship is. It's it's worship. He, he is yeah. worthy, and so that that's what we're doing, whether it's prayer whether it's the proclamation of the Scriptures or whether, in this case tonight, whether it's singing. Um, so that's what worship really is, and I think it's important that we recognize the distinction that singing is a part of. It is not holy.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it on the head there. The, the old word for worship, or where we get our English word worship, it, it comes from a word that, like you stated, worth ship it's mm-hmm. uh, god is worthy uh to be magnified to be honored uh to be glorified and singing is part of that <laughs> mm-hmm. again it, it's mm-hmm. it's not it's, it's not all of it i mean i don't know how many times i've come across people in conversations where people have said yeah we're, we're going to worship tonight or we're, we're have yeah. you heard that we're going to worship and 99 percent of the time it's referring to a band playing songs, mm. which isn't inherently bad, but th- that's how worship is defined. That's how it's classified. It's I'm going to this event tonight, and there is a worship band playing music, and that mm. is quote-unquote worship.
1: You know, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I I I just double-checked this to make sure I wasn't going to uh, put you in a bad spot here, but I think that a lot of churches confuse this and lead to confusion among their people whenever they identify the predominant leader in music as the worship pastor, the worship leader. Um, For example, at at countryside though, you guys have Seth, who is your music director. You, You don't call him the worship leader or the worship pastor because it's all worship. Uh, he's a music director. That's part of it. And we're thankful for that part of it. And frankly, it's helpful to have an individual who helps to lead the congregation, uh, which we're going to come back to and discuss how it's congregational singing. It's corporate. But I think sometimes churches inadvertently, uh, without meaning to, they have a worship pastor, as if to say that well, that that's the part of the the service that's worship because he sings, and so it's it's in. I, I think it's in, just ingrained in us. Sometimes you got the the preacher and you got the worship guy, uh, as if to say that those are two different things. Whereas preaching is worship, giving is worship. Um, you know, all that we do in corporate gathering is, in order to ascribe worth to our creator, to the one and only God. And so I I think that if we were more thoughtful and intentional about our language, uh, churches would do well to move away from that type of uh, um, designation for those who lead music.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think that defines where American evangelicalism is today. It's a separation between uh, the preaching of the Word of God and music or singing to to god and and again in other words you've you've got this whole movement man i mean this whole movement where worship is only singing and it's not the preaching of the word of god it's ultimately been flip-flop because you'll see these uh, these churches that are uh, they're so focused on being music oriented where, mm. in fact, the music, the quote-unquote worship, actually overshadows uh, the preaching of God's Word, if, if you would even call it that. Um, so in this episode, we're going to make the case that singing... Is part of worship, and it should be included on on Sunday mornings. But it isn't the only component of worship, and it isn't the only reason that we would come to church on a Sunday morning.
1: Lance, there's so many things we got to talk about. There's so many things, and I just want to. But I, I'm you. You said something that I want to just highlight real quick before we continue in the the trajectory of this episode. But you you mentioned that you know sometimes singing becomes more important to some people. It was, literally people will choose churches to attend based on the quality of the music or if it's the style of music they like, which we'll, we'll, we'll address those topics. But, um, but you know, when we, when we outlined this mini series that we've done here, we, you know, we outlined to describe the, the regulative principle. And then we went to the very first element of worship, which is the most important. That's the preaching of the word. Now, yeah, we're, we're preachers. Like, you know, you and I both have a, a heart and a, a desire to preach, but, that's that's not what makes it the most important. What makes it the most important is it's the ministry of the word, and that's what uh, we we argued for uh, in that episode. And corporate and congregational singing, it is vitally important. And I hope that we uh, in preparing this episode, I I began to see some things that I had overlooked, and it, it was I hope that we make it vital and, and helpful for your soul as you think about corporate worship as you listen. But it is not. The end all be all in terms of corporate worship. It is not what defines a worship service. It is a part of it, and uh, a worship service um, would do well to take to take uh, uh, advantage of and and to seriously consider congregational singing. But uh, it is not the core or the crux of it. So I do think that that's a, an important reminder for us as we as we continue in this conversation. Uh, yeah,
0: well, so, I, I, I want to thank yeah. you for. Uh, putting together this guide, um, spending a lot of time because this thing is is pretty lengthy, um, and and in depth, and I think puts together a really a a solid case uh, where we can stand on firm ground that corporate worship um, it, it involves uh, singing, uh, that uh, singing to our God and singing to our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm going to send it back to you and let you kick us off here. Um, as we begin to make a case for uh, congregational worship,
1: yeah. So, I want to I want to begin the discussion as far as why why is is congregational singing to be considered one of the elements in corporate worship? Right, like we talked about the regulative principle. We made a brief case for it in that episode, but. Just, just broadly speaking, let let's consider the biblical basis for where we see congregational or um, the the uh, group uh, corporate singing as part of worship. Where does that show up in scripture? Now. We certainly don't have time to examine all these passages. We're not even going to have time to mention all these passages. Uh, in fact, uh, Bob Coughlin, who's the director of Sovereign Grace Music, who I would endorse, uh, he's an elder at Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He, he, he wrote in an article that I read, he wrote that uh, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and more than 50 direct commands for the people of God to sing. And you see it all over scripture. Now you mentioned, Lance, I got a long guide here. So let's just let's just highlight a few, okay? Cause I, I don't want us to just spend forever reading through passages of scripture. But I do think when you put it all together, it's man, this is pretty weighty. Uh so just let's just go Old Testament first, then into the New Testament. We'll examine those as well. But hit me with a couple of, of references to help us consider the biblical case for uh, for the command or the uh, expectation for the people of God to sing.
0: Well, just like we did with um, corporate prayer um, just the other week on our, on our, on our last episode, I think, we, we went to the book of Psalms. I mean, the book of Psalms, uh, it, it is so key to understanding and grasping the Old Testament and specifically for our series here it, it is absolutely critical to see how the people of god respond to god himself you know we talked about the book of psalms being a divine prayer book it's it's um prayers offered up to god because of who he is but but it's also we would say it's a divine hymn book or a divine mm-hmm. song book in other words the psalms uh really lay out a pattern for uh, how we could and ought to worship God. Uh, I, I'm thinking of one here, and it's not on the guide. But like, for <laughs> example, Psalm, psalm 136, uh, 26 times in that psalm, it, it talks about God's steadfast love enduring forever, his unfailing love or his loyal love and enduring forever. But if you look back at that psalm and do a little research on it, you, you'll see that, uh, through each um line of that psalm, there was some sort of attribute or characteristic or work of God that was uh, that was spoken. And then after that, the the nation of Israel or the people would chant God's steadfast love endured forever. So you see this corporate element to just Psalm one hundred and thirty six.
1: that's that's a perfect example. And like you mentioned, that that was not even on the guide. It's not an exhaustive list here, but man, we could do this. I mean, all through, I mean, the the, the Psalms of Ascent, you have the same type of pattern, right, where the, the congregation or the nation of Israel was to sing or to chant together uh, in uh, unity as they expressed um, praise and worship to God. Uh, but you have explicit commands. You have explicit examples all throughout the rest of the Psalms. I mean, I, I'm just going to highlight a, a handful really yeah. quick. Uh, But again, we could do this for a long time, but Psalm chapter five, excuse me, Psalm five, verse 11, uh, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. Psalm nine, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O most high psalm 47 clap your hands shout to god with loud songs of joy sing praises to god sing praises to our king sing praises for god is the king of over all the earth sing praises with the psalm i mean over and over and over again psalm 51 psalm 57 psalm 59 psalm 147 psalm 149 i mean just over and over and over again and again this is not exhaustive these are just the ones that came to mind uh, as i was prepping for this so uh tons and tons and tons of corporate commands uh, for the people of Israel to come together and to sing as a means of expressing worship to God.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you even uh, do a word study on uh, Psalm, you know, it talks about um, musical instrumentation, uh, musical accompaniment. It's uh, the, the whole idea behind that word itself is this, uh, this idea of, of singing and having instrumentation and exalting God through lifting up your hearts through your voice. Um, uh, th- I mean, this is ultimately what the book of Psalms is, is given for. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it is literally a laid out pattern of rich, deep theology about who God is and how to best worship him. I mean, so in reality, I mean, practically speaking, you could open your Bible up to any psalm and you you could sing those words to mm-hmm. God. Uh, that, that's ultimately what yeah. it's designed to do.
1: And, and honestly, a lot of uh, modern, well, of course, some of the older hymns uh, capture some of that, but uh, some more modern worship uh, uh, worship songs um, have have aimed to do just that—to take those psalms and uh, put them to music, so that we might uh, capture the essence of what those psalms are really about. So, um, but we we mentioned this last week as we examined prayer. That's not the only place, right? Like, it's a really good place to start. You see, uh, you see it very. Uh, explicitly in 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 the Book of Psalms, but there are other examples in the Old Testament. And again, not exhaustive, but I, I found this to be fascinating as I worked my way through uh, some of these examples. So um, Lance, any anything that you want to highlight here from some of these Old Testament passages, anything that comes to mind as you uh, examine or think about uh, examples of or uh, commands for, uh, corporate singing in the Old Testament.
0: Yeah, I'll let you dissect these uh, passages in Exodus and Deuteronomy a little more, but I'll just I'll okay. kick it off here. Um, uh, you know, those passages uh, involve Moses. So you see Moses as a preacher of God's word, leading people by expounding the law of God. We see that uh, specifically in the book of Deuteronomy. But mm-hmm. he is also leading the people in song. He's leading the mm, people mm. in music. Now, I'm not saying he's sitting there playing the Ten Commandments <laughs> or anything like that, but what I am saying right. is he understands the idea of music as as a way and a means uh, to, to worship God.
1: Yeah, and I, I love that you said that Moses is leading them. Uh, because you have an individual, in this case Moses, who is is um, directing the people of Israel in corporate worship. And one of the ways in which he's doing that is through congregational or corporate singing. And uh, two examples, and, and again, there are many others, but two examples that came to mind uh, as I was preparing this episode. You have Exodus chapter 15 which um, is referred to as the, the song of Moses that the people sang. Verse 1 of Exodus 15 says that Moses and the people of Israel, so you have them all together, sang this song to the Lord, sang, and then it lays out the next 17 verses of the song. Well, what is that song? It's a, a response It's the nation of Israel responding to and celebrating the Lord who delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. So this is immediately following the Red Sea uh, coming back in upon uh, the Egyptians and the people uh, of Israel watching this and observing this, and their response is a response of worship, and in this case, through singing. So it's a means by which the people of Israel are worshiping. We see the same thing happen uh, in Deuteronomy 31 and 32. This one struck me, uh, particularly struck me this week as I was uh, prepping this. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses writes in verse 19, this is the Lord speaking. says, Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against them. For when I have brought them into the land of flowing of milk and honey, with which, which I swore to give their fathers, and they've eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them. They will despise them and they will break my covenant. And so he says, give them this song. This is going to be an indictment against them. And so it's a it's a song of worth uh, of of adoration and praise and worship. And God's going to say, look, you use this song. He's going to use that to then turn it against them in judgment because they're not worshiping with their hearts. They're just worshiping with their words. And I, I just found that so fascinating that God would use this as a means. Uh, but but that song is recorded for us in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And it says in the end of Deuteronomy 31, it says, Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. So they're all gathered together, and they were to sing this song as a nation in in a form of corporate worship. Um, Yeah, just a fascinating uh, development in the life of the nation of Israel.
0: Yeah, what's interesting to note, and again, you just mentioned two here, but if you start the timeline in Exodus 15, and then you end the timeline in Deuteronomy 31 and 32, I mean, you've got roughly a 40-year period, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, uh, that right there establishes that this whole concept and idea of writing and crafting and authoring songs and then singing those songs corporately as a people, th- this, this was going on for four decades. Uh, th- this, is, mm-hmm. this is the pattern that was established uh, here early, early in Scripture um, and again, with Moses uh, leading in these these two instances,
1: man, that's that's really good that you point that out the 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 timeline, right? The longevity because then, following the Pentateuch, you, you get into the Book of Joshua, and then immediately following Joshua, you have Judges, Judges chapter five. God delivers uh, the nation of Israel from the Canaanites, and Deborah and Barak they have a song, which is given as a means of worship. And that comes generations later, but the pattern still persists that these songs, another one shows up in Second Samuel chapter 22, which is recorded for us as well in Psalm 18. David is delivered from his enemies, in particular from Saul, and he writes a song, and there's a song that is to be sung as a means of worship. It's a means by which they ascribe glory to God. There's thanksgiving, there's adoration, there's praise. I mean, these are the things that we talked about in corporate prayer and in pastoral prayer last last week, in the last episode. It's the same idea. There are these attributes of God which are, um, which are highlighted and praised and God is worshipped and he's worshipped through song and in particular through the corporate uh, gathering of Israel coming together to sing them. So uh, w- there are songs, of course, the Song of Songs and, uh, that Solomon wrote. You've got uh, the book of Isaiah has many of these references to you know the poetry there. You've got Jeremiah, you've got Lamentations. These could be multiplied on end, but the point is that uh, throughout the generations, throughout the history of Israel, there was a pattern that was developed early on, and it continued on through the prophets that the people of God were to sing as a part of their worship of God.
0: Yep, this was it, it was generational. It, it, even though there was uh, multiple time periods of rebellion uh, against God, you know, by His own people. You've got this remnant, you have this thread of people that generation after generation are they' they're passing down uh, this element or, or this the, this idea of corporate worship. So it, it's not absent in in the Old Testament at all. Uh, I would say in fact that it is highlighted with the book of Psalms Be, being it's the peak, it's the pinnacle. Um, you know it, there, there, there's a reason that we have, 150 psalms and not just two psalms Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean that sets the stage for the um the degree which god requires for his people to do this i mean he's willing to inspire uh the the authors to put together 150 different ways i guess you could say ways and and what i mean by that Mm. is Verses or choruses or texts to be able to exalt mm-hmm. Him through song,
1: man. And uh, I'm, I think that's a perfect time now to segue into the New Testament. So you you mentioned that pattern, the 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 multitude, the the plethora of examples that we have throughout the Old Testament. But that was really, you know, we're we're not we're not the nation of Israel anymore, right? We're we're New Testament church now, but that pattern was carried over into the New Testament and I've got a handful of, of references here in the New Testament um, and, and I, I want to hear you uh, particularly I want to hear you uh, uh, kind of your thoughts on on Paul's uh, letters but before before I let you highlight those I do think that there's a transitional uh, scene that I think kind of ties mm-hmm. these two together uh, right so so Matthew chapter 26 uh, this is also recorded in Mark's Gospel. Um, I don't know if it's in Luke's, I can't remember, I didn't check this, but uh, certainly uh, repeated um, uh, instances of this in the Gospels. But describing what happens following the institution of the Lord's Supper. So Jesus has uh, the final... Uh, the Last Supper with his disciples. It's the, the last Passover, the beginning of the Lord's Supper, right? There's there's the, this transition that's happening. There's there's something uh, monumental that's occurring here. And at, after instituting the Lord's Supper, just kind of a passing phrase that I've missed many times, but it says in Matthew 26, verse 30, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So so you have this momentous occasion, this teaching moment, this... this um, uh, this climactic point in the night, uh, prior to Jesus going to the cross. I, I mean, th- this is a big deal uh, that's happening, and at the end of it, it says that they sung a hymn. Hmm. That, that's what they did to 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 respond in worship. And so you imagine that these twelve men, uh, thirteen with Jesus, but that these these disciples there are gathered together, and they just sing uh just together and likely what are they singing? They're probably singing one of the Psalms, yeah. uh ascribing words to God. And uh and, and so I think you see this this transition from the old to the new and weave uh weaving in and woven into this this transition, you have corporate gathered singing as part of that transition that that continues into the New Testament.
0: Yeah absolutely um and that, that is clearly picked up by uh, the early church. Um, specifically, Paul addresses the idea of uh, singing corporate worship in both Colossians and Ephesians. Specifically, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes, uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So uh, I think it's important to highlight in Colossians three sixteen that the people of the church of Colossae are supposed to admonish one another, admonish mm. one another in all wisdom. How are they supposed to do that? Singing psalms, which is clearly a reference to the book of Psalms, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this not only included and most definitely included the old testament psalms but this also probably included uh early hymns of the uh, of the church those first couple decades we've got um new hymns being written which is a great argument mm-hmm. for singing the old hymns and also writing new yes. hymns so yes. you've got that in colossians three um, uh, sixteen. another uh, portion of scripture to go that's in tandem with Colossians 3 16 would be Ephesians 19 or Ephesians 5 19. Uh, Paul again writes that the believers are supposed to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He goes on to say singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Okay, so uh, Paul isn't concerned about how well you can sing. And whether or not that it sounds great, uh, the idea here is that this type of singing, this type of uh, worship is, is coming directly out of the heart.
1: And there's <laughs> there's so many things that we need to unpack there. We're going to come back to. Uh, so don't if, if, uh, if you've got more to say, I want to hear it on that. But the, the things that you highlighted there, um, most importantly, I think, for this portion is the the one another. That this is to be done together. Uh, in other words, it's not just isolated. Like, hey, in your private time, make sure you're singing a song. You know, after you get done reading the Bible, but this is to be done among the local church, and I think that's uh, the the point there. Um, and, and Paul is writing this specifically, of course, to those local congregations, and so I think that's uh, that's very self evident. Um, again, and we we see the same pattern. Uh, is going to continue even into eternity future. Uh, the book of Revelation has several references to um, to continued singing uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Revelation chapter 5 talks about uh, the, the 24 elders and the living creatures singing a new song, saying, worthy mm-hmm. are you to take the scroll and open its seals. And then Revelation chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne, before the, th- before the four living creatures and before the elders. Uh, Revelation 15 tells us more of the same. So we have this this pattern, this biblical Uh, thread that's woven from the opening pages in the Pentateuch all the way uh, to the closing chapters uh, of the book of Revelation. And you just see this expectation where the people of God sing. They ascribe worth together collectively uh, to God through uh, the the means of song. And uh, so it's not the only way in which we worship God, but it is absolutely a prevalent and important way in which the church comes together to worship god so uh, hopefully that case has been made that the church is to sing uh songs when they gather together now i think the bible's clear on that but now lance let, let's tease that out a little bit okay so i want to I, I know we've we've uh we've talked for a little bit here but we, we've got some more that we need to kind of Flesh out some. So I want to I want to highlight the idea of it being congregational. Okay, so corporate worship as opposed to being solo or individualistic. Uh, thoughts on that? Hel- help me help me kind of parse that out.
0: Yeah, we've touched on it a couple times. I think already in the episode, specifically back when you know we were kind of launching into uh, the content. But the the idea of corporate worship it, it is not. And we've just got to make this clear, and I think we have, but we can make it even more clear. It is (laughs) not entertainment-focused. Man, That uh, again, we've got to try and recapture uh, this idea of congregational singing uh, as worship. We we, we have to recapture that. It it is not entertainment-focused. It is not about you. It is not about your personal preferences, you know, like, oh, well, I just don't really like this verse or, mm-hmm. you know, this melody. Ah, I, I don't know, man, I wouldn't have this on my Spotify playlist. You know, <laughs> that's not what it's about. It's not entertainment focused.
1: And and, and and that is so, so, so pivotal in today's culture, right? Like we, we in American American society, man, like we are entertaining ourselves to death. I mean, everything we do is about pleasing the flesh, and entertainment is at the top of of American priorities. I mean, I mean, it just is. It's it is part of the grain of our society, and so many folks attend worship services uh, on Sunday morning with the consumer approach. Uh, they, they view church membership like they do Costco or Amazon, right? Like you pay a, a small fee and then you get a service or you get a good or you get something out of it. You get the membership uh, that comes with it and you take advantage of the things you like. And if they don't satisfy you, then you just move to a different provider. Uh and that's not what the local church is. And sometimes I think unintentionally people have that approach, right? Like, hey, we're we're giving of our tithes and we show up and we are there every week and man, I just don't like what you know, Billy is up there singing. It's just terrible and I don't want to be part of that. Well it's not really about you. Mm. Um it's not really about your preferences, as you said. And uh and, and frankly I think now I, I want to hear your thoughts on this like having an individual stand up and sing, I think is a wonderful demonstration or display of the gifts and abilities of individuals as God has given to them. But if, if corporate worship frequently highlights the talents, the musical talents or abilities of individuals, it loses the entire premise of cor- of, of the singing component because it is to be congregational in nature um, in other words, God does not just call for the talented musicians to play and for those who are lyrically and musically gifted to sing. I, uh, the Bible doesn't prioritize singing for those who sing well. It, it's it's simply, the Bible says sing. Uh, we're commanded to sing, all of us, to make a joyful noise, as you said. And and it's it's not a matter of what pleases our ears, it's the heart behind it. And so everyone is called to sing. And so when you have a, a solo driven or a let's platform this talented individual, it, it really can be detrimental to that aspect of, of congregational singing. Agree? Disagree? Thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, man. Lot, lots of thoughts uh, about what you said there. I first want to jump back to that idea that you presented about the church being so saturated with self and preferences that worship has Mm. to mesh and gel with my likings and and whatnot there was a this is a secular book written back in the 80s uh by neil postman it was called amusing ourselves to death have you heard of that yeah i mean that back in the 80s you've got this you know, secular guy making the argument that the culture is so consumed with, uh, amusing themselves, uh, you know, that, that everything w- was about self, what I'm watching on TV, what I'm hearing on the radio, what I'm doing in the community, me, 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 me. Mm. Well, I mean, here we are four decades later after that book. And that, that type of mindset is now at church on Sunday mornings. It's, you know that's right you know it's not well what does the bible say you know the regulative principle that we've been making the case mm-hmm. for but it's well what what are my preferences you know what? and of course that stems to other areas of corporate worship but here with singing man the, this really drives people well, i i just i just don't like the music there you know mm-hmm. it's just not mm-hmm. my style so i'm not going to go to church there where whereas it should be well is this biblical? Is this honoring God? You know, that, that's the case that we're making for here. And, uh, and then secondly, to the second point you made about not making corporate worship about the individual and not platforming the individual. You know, we're not saying that there can't be a special music and that right. you can't highlight right. someone uh, for their amazing voice or maybe their talent playing a musical instrument. But those mm-hmm. should be um, in in the background of sorts because we don't want to lose the corporate the togetherness of what singing should be.
1: That's, that's exactly right. Uh, I appreciate you clarifying that. I'm I would not say that you can't do those things. I, I would simply say that if that is a staple, yeah, and that is what is really the focal point of of the congregational singing uh, aspect of of corporate worship, then the, it's upside down, right? It, it needs to be primarily congregational and um the other things would supplement that so that the congregation uh, is, is really, it's one voice together uh, as a, as a unit. So uh, Lance, you, you mentioned something that I want to, I want to just piggyback off of. I want to get you to, to develop it a little bit more. So you talked about what the music is supposed to be. So let's talk about musical content. So, you and I are in corporate or uh, in uh, vocational ministry. Maybe we're planning services and we're thinking about this. Maybe there are pastors who are thinking about this and they're thinking about, okay, wh- what should music be? But even for the layperson who attends church, what should they be looking for in corporate singing? Like what should the musical content Be like, like what should characterize? If somebody were to say, "Hey, you're at a healthy church," what kind of songs do you sing? What, 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 what what would you expect?
0: Yeah, I mean, we need we need lyrics that are. Let's just focus on the lyric part of it, not just the music aspect of it. Okay, yeah, you know, lyrically, we need uh, we we need um, verses and choruses and, and those things built directly from the Word of God. We need music. Um, we need the words of that music to be biblical, to be scriptural, we we need, uh, we don't need the fluff. We don't need the, you know, the cool hip lingo from the culture. We don't, we don't need any of that business going on in, in worship Mm -hmm. songs because we need to use biblical language, biblical terminology, because it is that type of language and terminology that God has given us to be able to worship him.
1: That's right, man. I and that's I'm. <laughs> that's the first place it's got to be. That, that's the most important thing, um, is that it's the lyrics are biblically informed and sound and theologically correct. Um, that they are. That they are. It is a form of worship, and who has um, revealed himself in the scriptures? But God Himself. So the scriptures become the means by which we are able to rightly understand who God is and therefore worship him appropriately. So all of our lyrics must be informed and, and filtered through scripture itself. Um, You know, one thing I've noticed and, and you know, you can speak to this as well, but that people are more likely to learn their theology from songs, from music. It's more memorable uh, I could preach, man. I'll preach a sermon most Sundays for the rest of my ministry career, and people are more likely to remember this lyrics to "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God" five, you know, centuries later than they are to know anything that I've said, because that's how people learn. So, for that reason, the theology has to be right.
0: And again, you—I you, mean, you, know, you nailed it again—that the theology and the doctrine. Point us upward. It takes us mm. vertical, not not horizontal. You know, I, I don't need to be singing songs about me or the person next to me. Uh, I need to be joining in singing songs with them about God, uh, and uh, I need the words themselves to be rich, theologically sound, doctrinally because then I can elevate my voice and heart and affirm those truths about God, mm. about Christ, about the gospel. And, um, uh, again, the, the church at large, um, ha- has taken that vertical component of worship and, and that they've, they've, they've flattened it, you know, they, they've mm. basically evened it out, man. It's, it isn't about God, although he's in some of the songs. It's it's more about me and the person next to me and and feeling the moment and the situation.
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's an indictment on on the culture of our church today. And um, I I love this quote I came across this week from from Mark Dever. I've quoted him often on on the podcast, but think he nails this as well. Uh, but he, he writes, he says, We want to sing songs that raise our view of God, that present him in all his glory and grace. We want to sing songs that put the details of Christ's person and work front and center. We want to sing theologically textured songs that make us think about the depths of God's character, the contours of His grace, and the implications of His gospel, and that teach us about the biblical doctrine that saves and transforms. So it, it it's the idea that we use it. We use the singing of songs to build one another up, and to build one another up theologically and doctrinally with with depth and with, uh, with, with content. Right, that it it's actually um, useful and not just meaningless, uh, you know, truisms, things that may be, you know accurate, but have no depth uh, that, that really do nothing to, uh, to challenge us or to help us think and to worship with our minds as we sing. Um, now those things being said, I, I, I need to plead my ignorance here. I have zero, and I mean that zero ear or ability to understand or appreciate good music. Uh, my wife often points this out to me, uh I don't know good music musically like li- like I understand good lyrics but I've got no ability to understand musical excellence. So let me I'm going to let you you're going to have to be the expert here. So talk to me about okay do we want to just be up there like okay all these songs are theologically accurate but do we want to just like really like drone and just sound like <laughs> just just bad like does that matter right like i can't sing i can't sing well uh with any kind of you know ear for musical uh <laughs> excellence uh what what does the bible say or how, how do we appreciate or understand the musical excellence or musical diversity um that type of that type of element and how important is that in terms of corporate corporate uh singing
0: yeah man i don't know if i'm the guy uh, I'm the guy to be. Well, it's certainly not me hammering down on this. No, I think, I think you can look at it from uh, two vantage points. Really, I think there's, um, you've got on on the one hand, you've got those that are leading uh, the congregation and worship. I think that's one category of this conversation, and then two, you've got those who are participating together. Um, in, in in worship so i mean you can think of passages like psalm 333 3 that talk about uh, the idea of of having skill playing a particular instrument mm-hmm. so I, I think that that along with like a first corinthians 14 that talks about order um and um, excellence and I, I can't remember what else it says there in first corinthians 14. When it talks about spiritual gifts, or in the church
1: order, excellence, um, building one another up—I mean, th- those are the, the the focuses there. Yeah, so cer- certainly, I think that would be applicable and and connected to as you mentioned, Psalm 33.3, three, skill—you know, skillful uh, playing—and so so the expectation that things would be uh, not chaotic, not haphazard, but thought out, intentional, and high quality, and truly excellent.
0: Yeah, definitely from the 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 side of leading, uh, in, in, in singing. You know, we would mm-hmm. say the same too about the preacher. You know, getting up there willy nilly, un unprepared, um, it w- would be the exact opposite of what we would want to happen. The same needs to be true on on the music side of things. We want those. I mean, you don't have to be American Idol, you know, uh, type <laughs> situation here, but you can really work on your skill. You can work on that craft. You you can again, uh, proceed with excellence and care. Um, but on, on, on the other side of things, talking about those sitting in the pew, those sitting in the seats, um, in, in terms of vocal abilities or any awareness of those, uh, those talents, God's concern isn't whether or not that sounds great to the ear in terms of the quality Um, Mm -hmm. he's concerned about, uh, the heart, uh, what of the heart has been invested in singing these praises, uh, unto God. It's like, uh, and I can't think of the verse off the top of my head where, uh, the writer talks about that God, you know, he, he doesn't desire, uh, that sacrifice or, or that offering, but he desires obedience. You know, I think in one sense that could be true of those. Uh, within the pew you know he's not desiring for that for you to hit that note perfectly you know when you're singing in christ alone or whatever it is but he's desiring the heart out of it
1: yeah that's uh somewhere in first samuel i don't i don't have it offhand either but uh but yeah man i i love that i love the the parallel that you mentioned there to preaching um in, in the sense that it should be as excellent as god has gifted you to be um that your capacity for ability um, is a a means of stewardship, right? So, like a, as a preacher, I'm only going to be as good as God has allowed me to be in terms of my gifts of being able to to stand up and preach. But He has allowed me to be a, to a certain um a certain skill a certain ability and if i'm not taking advantage of that then i'm being a poor steward of those gifts and the same would be true of of any musical uh, talent that we have that we should develop that for the purpose uh, of worshiping with excellence as you you mentioned i'm glad you did first corinthians 14. um we've also touched on musical diversity right like psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so songs that have stood the test of time that go all the way back as uh, as uh, the Old Testament to to the Song of Moses or to the to the, the the Psalms and the Psalter all the way to in the book of Revelation singing a new song uh, that is written for the occasion as people uh, sing and write uh, songs which are uh, f- which are related to moments in history that God has uh, orchestrated for his glory and so, I think that there's musical diversity. There should be musical excellence, but the musical content, I would still say, is the primary focus, uh, so that it would be um, healthy and good for the congregation to sing. Um, and we, I know we got more to say. We're gonna have to wrap this up as tidy as we can. All right, but I want to end as as I've kind of thought through this. Any, anything that you want to add, by all means, throw it in. But I want to end by highlighting a few of the benefits of corporate singing as worship. So the Bible commands it. There's an expectation for us to do it. But talk very briefly. Let's just kind of go maybe back and forth here, highlighting a couple of these about the, the benefits of what corporate worship, excuse me, what corporate singing does as part of a, a worship service. What what benefits do, do do the church experience and enjoy as a result?
0: Yeah, we've talked about this on every episode we've done in this series. Corporate, there's a unity, uh, there's yep. a cohesion between the, the the saints of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a it, it unites us all. You know, we're united in prayer. We're united in the ordinances. We're united in the preaching and teaching of God's word. But we're also united in singing. You know, and it's 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 not necessarily just being. A cohesive unit in the song itself, but we're united in the uh, the the great depths of God, uh, mm. the 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 transcendent truths of the gospel. It's all of that's coming together collectively as we sing.
1: Yeah, corporate unity is so uh, uh, it, it's it's personified in in congregational singing in a way that I think is a little bit harder to see sometimes in the other. Uh, and, and so it's a beautiful picture of that. That's great. Uh, man, secondly, it's a way in which we can ascribe honor and worth to God. And we've talked about that a lot about what worship is, uh, and corporate singing allows us to put, to put uh, weight behind that to say, this is truly why I got up this morning. Uh, it's truly why I've gathered together with these people with whom I have nothing else in common other than this one thing, which is what unites us and that is uh, being in Christ and it, it gives us the uh the opportunity the ability to truly uh, uh express and to uh ascribe worth and honor and adoration and awe and wonder and praise and worship uh to God through uh corporate singing so it, it's a tremendous uh, tool for us to be able to do that
0: Yep, you've mentioned uh, this next one uh, earlier in the podcast. It's doctrinally informing. Um, I mean, we can all relate to this. We all have lyrics to songs, whether biblical biblical songs, like we're talking about on this podcast, or even secular songs that we've heard throughout our lifetime, where we know the lyrics, we remember the Mm -hmm. verses, we remember the chorus, I mean, the same would be true of of worship songs. It's a it's a way to um, remember rich theology and doctrine.
1: Um, man, that's so good. And then I would I would add uh, to that list. Uh, it's it's spiritually, it is so encouraging. Um, man, it's it's just so encouraging to see others and to 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 hear others singing with you. Um, I, I often have said this, even as I've stood up to preach that at times, as I sit in a, a, a worship service and there's a time of corporate singing at times, I'll just look around and I'll just kind of stop for just a second and just observe. And that feeling of like, you know what? I'm not in this thing alone because so often, man, like we go off into whatever life is throwing at us, we go home, we got you know, something going on financially, or we got something going on with our kids, or we got something going on with our, our friends and family, whatever else. And it feels like, man, this you're just battling uh, the spiritual uh, warfare and all these things. And it you, you can just feel isolated at times. And on Sunday mornings, when I see these other believers in Christ uh, crying out together with one voice, and I just look around, I'm like, I'm not by myself. Like, I'm not doing this thing alone. Uh, it reminds me of... of uh, Paul and Silas and Philippi and they're in prison. Uh, they're, they're getting beat up by the world. They've been they've been uh, publicly humiliated. They've been beaten and they're in prison. And in Acts 16 verse 25 it says about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, like just encouraging one another and 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 edifying and and building one another up through uh, corporate uh, singing. And, uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful way in which we can encourage one another. Um, and and, man, I just, I just love what that does to me spiritually as I, as I see and witness others uh, alongside me.
0: Yeah. You've got, uh, here on, on the guide, you've got a few quotes from Martin Luther on, on singing. It's interesting, man. Um, a lot of people, you know talk about the 95 uh uh but and and luther's theology but what a lot of people don't know is he was a prolific hymn writer and he was a Mm -hmm. gifted hymn writer in fact his most famous hymn a mighty fortress is our god you mentioned that earlier you know he actually penned those words uh, a couple years after um one, one of his daughters died uh, that's one of the things that helped mm. him, I, I guess, cope with you know the loss loss of a child. Is he just began to write deep theologically rich hymns that were then put to music so he, he could sing to his God or our God. Um, and mm. I, I like the short quote that you have here where Luther says, "As long as we live, there is never enough singing," and mm. that's really what we're talking about on this entire this entire episode, man, is that we need to, to sing our hearts out to God. Gosh,
1: I, I love that. I wish I could read all the other quotes from Luther. He has so many good ones uh, about music because uh, it was so important for him. But um, and we, we've we once again run ourselves out. I, th- I think, uh, think, I think I got to take the blame on this one. I, I got a little fired up and, and talked a little bit too much, but uh, that being said, let's, let's close out the episode like we do every week uh, with an informants initiative, uh, Take home point application for us. Uh, I- I'll kick it off. I kind of got two things that I would I would wrap up this this conversation and uh, the series as a whole. And I, I think that uh, I would start by just saying that part of what we've been rescued or redeemed to do is to sing praises to our God. I mean, that's part of what it means to be in Christ is that we worship through song. And so, as those who are believers, as we Uh, enter into our separate uh, places of corporate worship on Sunday morning, I pray that all of us might sing, that we would sing well, that we would sing passionately, that we would sing fervently. We would sing for his glory and for the advance of the gospel and that we would sing together. I mean, that's what we've been called to do. And so as we think about corporate worship and we think about all the elements and components, when it comes for congregational singing, I, I would, Uh, encourage us to think about what's happening spiritually in the room as we come together for that purpose and that it might be a reflection of uh, who we are in Christ. And then the the last thing I would say, just as we kind of wrap up this call for biblical worship, I, I, I would say that our focus, we need to remember this, our focus is not to be on whatever act of worship we are participating in, but the object of worship. So in the middle of corporate worship, I love preaching, I love hearing good preaching, but the the point of all that is not the preaching itself; it's the one about whom we preach. Uh, I love congregational singing, but it's the point of that is not the singing itself; it's about the one to whom we sing. And so, the object of our worship is and always must be God and God alone. And so, we may may we remember that uh, in our our corporate worship as we go forward
0: yeah man those are two great points thanks for sharing those um yeah for the my initiative just to kind of go where we've been going with this entire episode is that the bible lays out a clear pattern that god's people sing therefore Mm -hmm. if you claim to be a christ follower whether you're a brother or sister in christ you you must sing if not i would go as far as saying that you are being disobedient to the entirety of scripture because this is what god's people do Um, so my encouragement would be, again, this isn't, uh, you know, to just Matthew 18, someone here at the end of the podcast for not (laughs) singing. Yeah. My, my encouragement would be, um, to be obedient to God and his word and to sing to him and honor him and glorify him with, with, um, what is due to his name, ascribe glory to his name through, through song, because in reality, it's not about you. It's not about your voice. It's about giving uh, worship to our God.
1: Man, that's so good. Gosh, I love this. I love this episode. I love this series. I'm thankful that uh, I don't even know how it came about. I'm going to give you credit because I think it was your idea. But, man, this has been a lot of fun, been uh, really helpful uh, for me. And I know we've both enjoyed uh, getting that conversation uh, over the last, uh, well, really several months, but uh, just few episodes. But, uh, but hey, I don't know what's next uh, as far as like what what series or, or how we're going to tackle the next few weeks. But uh, coming soon, the next uh, the next topic will be soteriology. So, uh, looking forward to hopping into that. Looking at the doctrine of salvation that'll be next. Uh, in the meantime. Uh, If you're not doing so already, we want to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel. Make sure you go on and give us uh, an honest review. Uh, we, we hope that you would give us a, a a favorable, um, review on, on iTunes, help us to share, uh, the platform of reformed informants so that others can be encouraged by these conversations as well. You can find us on social media. You can like us on Facebook at reformed informants. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants, and you can find links to all those social media platforms and any previous episodes at our website at www.themajestysmen.com slash reformed informants.
0: If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.